Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Pastor and friend Joel Tolbert. Rabbi and Mitch Eric Linder. Oh, <laughs> uh, I miss you this week. Mm. Oh, no. That sounds like you're doing hard interfaith stuff. No, it's just uh, this week's horrible, you know, hostage situation at a Reformed synagogue just reminded me of the importance of interfaith relationships and friendships. And so in many ways, it's more of a grateful uh, recollection than any other. But um, yeah, without, you know, no surprise, but that that's what's on my mind this week. It's weird for me to like, my first thought about it was deep breath, hold breath, wait, 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 what happened, what happened? And then you hear, okay, only the hostage taker was shot, none of the hostages. And there was relief in that, um, as opposed to like Tree of Life Synagogue some years ago. And there's still a pain in that, that, holy crap, somebody still thinks the right way to do this is to take a weapon to a house of God and hold people hostage and make demands. I, I'm i so confused, Eric. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a few kind of angles, I guess, that I've been thinking about aside from, you know, CNN and everything like that. And one is, is, you know, I, I think last season or in one of our episodes, we talked about tribalism. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that in terms of this, you know, we, whenever we, we talk about tragedies like this hitting close to home and that affects us more. So, you know, the tree of life shooting obviously hit close to home for me because it was a Jewish synagogue. This last incident in some ways hit closer because it was a reform synagogue. And I know the rabbi. Like, mm-hmm. I'm friends with him. We were in classes together. Um, we're different years. So I, I didn't spend the year in Israel with him. But, you know, everything that's been reported about him is what I remember him to be. You know, mensch, nice guy, even tempered, even keeled, which, you know, possibly saved his own and, and three, four other lives. Um but, you know, a tragedy is a tragedy. It, do- it doesn't matter if I know the person. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish. It doesn't matter if it happens at a temple or a church or a mosque. And, but yet there is a heightened reaction when we feel, quote unquote, close to something. So that's one thing I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. And then the other is a lot of my colleagues have been sad and to some degree frustrated at what they see as a lack of community support outside of the Jewish world. Oh. And, and yeah, and, and so in some ways that's heartbreaking. And and there's also an understanding, you know, we are in our second year of COVID. Everyone is exhausted. We are all 
in some ways numb. That, that, by the way, that's not a good thing, but it just is, myself included. And also, as you said, other than the the gunmen, no lives were lost. Mm-hmm. I have every confidence that God forbid, if it was even more of a tragic situation than it was, mm-hmm. more colleagues would have called and reached out to me. Yeah. I really don't think that it's a lack of caring or God forbid to go even further, you know, they don't care about Jews thing. I don't think that's what it is. Hmm. But I do think it is part of the kind of fabric of how we live in our society now that it's hard enough for us just to kind of keep our families in order, let alone reach out to, you know, all these sorts of people whenever a tragedy happens because there's just too many of them. And so that that's kind of that's just a a very beginning of where my head's been at with regard with regard to this. Mm-hmm. I, I bet you saw the reports. The, the rabbi there in Dallas Fort Worth area, he was a part of an interfaith group, a lot like you and I have been a part of over the years, and and several of them gathered like right next door. So the imam. Um, a pastor from like one of the Baptist churches, uh, a Catholic priest, they all gathered up as close to the synagogue as they could. And the imam kind of offered to the police, hey, as an imam, if you want me to speak to the um, the hostage taker, I can do that. And, and there was some suspicion of that. Like they didn't know Aye. if he was being helpful or if he was if that would make it worse, or if he was a part of the plots, you know, so there was, there wasn't a decision, like an action of distrust, but there was that whisper went through their minds and their brains. So, you know, I don't know how I feel about whether or not that rabbi felt supported by his interfaith community as that was happening, but they showed up. Um, They came near, they came around, they offered to do something but I don't like, but now what? Okay. So this Muslim kidnapper grabs um, some people in the synagogue and demands the freedom of somebody because he said something like America only cares about Jewish lives. Um, and Or Jews, like there was, I think there was this idea that, you know, we have enough power that we could free this person. I'm not even sure. And this person clearly wasn't in a right state of mind. Right. So, you know, there's no logic there. Yeah, but what, like, what does it say that a, you know, a broken-hearted, broken-minded Muslim sees America as only caring about Jews when, geez, I've seen Americans not care about Jews at all. In fact, hate them. Um, and I don't know how you feel about yeah, and, his perception of that. Well, I, what, I mean, where I take that is the unfortunate, I, I think this ties into kind of what some of my colleagues are feeling, is that is mixed into. So the, the latent or not latent anti-Semitism that already exists in America is kind of conflated 
with what is perceived as a uh, maybe a lack of a response from non-Jewish colleagues. And mm-hmm. that, I think, has been painful for people. You know, I, you know, I, I personally have not gotten a lot of phone calls or emails, but, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I know, I mean, and I know this, it's not a guess, that if I called any number of 15, maybe even, you know, more colleagues saying, hey, this happened, I need help, can we go to coffee, can you come to Temple, the answer would be unequivocally yes. And so that, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I think, you know, I, so in that respect, I don't think it's only Jews. I think it's COVID. I think it's that there's been extremism against all sorts of people, including Jews, of course. Um, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. go back to the, the killing of George Floyd. I mean, all of this has been part of our lives for two plus years now. And I, you know, this is a, I'm sitting, you know, in, in somewhat a privileged position, very safe, very comfortable. Um, but that's that that's what I feel. That's all I have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the tie to this woman in jail is interesting in that, like, she is an absolute virulent uh, anti-Semite. I mean, she spoke about, you know... The, the Zionist heathen and, and those sorts of things. And I saw this really powerful thread. I am going to forget his name, but I'm going to make a note, Joel, <laughs> promising myself, you, and the listeners uh, to get his name in, in the show notes. Um, I want to say he's a correspondent on CNN, but I could be wrong. And a Muslim gentleman. Uh-huh. Um, let me just write down. Uh, uh, um that posted something about how if and this was coming from him, I, I and I am paraphrasing him because I don't have it in front of me, but it was something to the extent of we, as in Muslims, have a problem if we don't fully denounce anti-Semitism. It's so like you were talking about whispers on our end being like, oh, they're Muslim. Can we trust them with the, ter- you know, with the hostage taker at the same token? Yeah. um you know, to only say this was a quote unquote lone person, it, I, I, you know, there is something, I don't know if systemic is the right word, but there's something there. And I think each community has to look into their biases and assumptions really closely. And we have to really be willing uh, to confront some, some difficult things. And uh, it just sucks. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, and, and frankly, you know, this will be the you know last thing I'll, I'll I'll say you know before hearing some more of your thoughts is, as a colleague of mine said, we're all under hostage now because this has now you know we're all discussing security again. We're all you know sending letters to our congregation, talking to our boards, all those mm-hmm. things, and it's like we want to learn and and teach Torah. That's what we want to be doing, and that's what we're paid to do. I'm not paid. I mean, I am, right. you know, in a third tier thing. Like I'm, I'm paid to think about security in the same way you are, right? But like that's not our primary role. Yeah, I noticed that there were like a lot of the Muslim communities around the Fort Worth, Dallas area were all working on security for their next services. That uh, a lot of the 
Jewish communities were working on security in the immediate aftermath of that hostage taking. Um, and then some of the Baptists and Catholics who are part of the interfaith group were all ramping up their security as well. The, the federal government is accelerating a big grant that helps um, nonprofit faith communities uh, do security work. I mean, and to think like there are human beings that call themselves Americans who hate people of other religions or hate even more sometimes people of their own religion who love people of other religions. Um, so that it's, and the I, I don't know if you call it the bipartisanship or the division in our country that seems to be hyper-political. It's easily attached to faith communities. You see Christian denominations and Christian congregations that are clearly associated with a way of seeing the world, a way of thinking about the nation of Israel, a way of speaking about uh, people of other faiths. And then you see other Christian communities that do it so differently. Um, and there is a fear that the synagogues and the temples and the mosques and the congregations are going to get attacked if we keep trying to love one another uh, despite our differences and to hold on to one another and work beside one another. And, you know, we say this at every, you know, church or mosque or synagogue shooting, but th there's such a tragic irony in the word that we use for our holy spaces, sanctuary, mm -hmm. is supposed to be the safest of places, literally a sanctuary. Right. And uh, that disconnect is very painful. Yeah. But what are you thinking about this week, Joel? <laughs> well, even one more thing. Apparently, mosques in Texas regularly have armed white supremacists standing in front of their community centers and are regularly threatened. So what, what I hope people won't do is take, take this occasion to hate another group um, in the faith community. I hope they will see it almost like a George Floyd moment and say, you know what, we're all going to stand up against religious bigotry in all shapes and forms. And inside the Muslim community, they will no longer tolerate anti-Semitic language or anti-Christian language. And in the Christian communities, we will no longer tolerate or practice anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim language, right? And we will will find some way to shut it down in our congregations top to bottom. I don't think that would stop the violence, but it would just make it clear there is no sanctuary for hatred, right? Only sanctuary from it. Um, and if you're in the sanctuary, you are not here to bring hatred and violence. You are here because you need a safe place from it. So my topic this week is pretty similar. Um, it doesn't involve a gun yet or a hostage taking yet, unless you want to call the January 6th insurrection of the Capitol, something like that. Um, and it's uh, Christian nationalism in the form of what they're calling patriot churches. Um, there are, in the Washington Post, there's some articles about these um, and what Christian nationalism is doing to evangelical faith communities that uh, 
they are a, a Christian congregation that are formed around what it means to be a true patriot of our country. And it includes things like um, support of individual freedom, um, working hard for what you get and being grateful to God for getting it. But if you don't have it, well, it's, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Um, that the America is a Christian nation founded on they don't, they don't even say Judeo-Christian principles anymore. They just say Christian principles. Um, and, and a part of these churches is trumpeting the big lie. Um, there are preachers saying things from the pulpit on Sundays like, um, we know there's no way Biden won the election. Just look at him or things like that. Um, and... And all of that is being done in and around the auspices of Christian worship. And I am, I am freaking out that, uh, that Christian worship can do that. And I'm trying to figure out what my response to that is as a Christian pastor on this, on this planet. Yeah, that, that's horrible. (laughs) Uh, it, what what do you think is the you know other than the fact that our society continues to get more and more polarized? Do you, do you attribute anything to to this rise? Uh, well, I I think there has something to do with um, I think anti-Semitism is in it. Um. There was, in one of the articles I was reading about, there was an outbreak of anti-Semitism in 1993 in Billings, Montana. And that people, um, people united after a brick went through the, it's according to Washington Post, an article, uh, united after a brick went through the bedroom window of a Jewish boy who displayed a menorah for Hanukkah. And then thousands of residents placed paper menorahs in their windows as an act of solidarity. Um, but that, I, I don't think it's something new that Christians force Christian nationalism on other Americans. But I do think that with the election of uh, Trump, they were not just given uh, permission to think it anymore or to act it anymore, they were given pride in it. They were invited to the forefront with it. They were encouraged to speak it and act it out loud. And um, it's it's painful to realize that uh, in the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, so-called baptized followers, uh, think that the right way to honor God and to love neighbor is um, to cleanse this country of non-Christian values and ideologies. And I, I, I think the last four years um, made the quiet stuff get said out loud. Yeah, I... I... I agree with you. And the January 6th insurrection is the same thing, in a way. There were 
Yes, absolutely. A lot of those people are Christian nationalists, and they believe what they believe, not because it's true, not because facts matter. Um, There was a a podcast I was listening to about it, and they were talking about how, you know, Biden is a Satanist, and they're like, actually, no, he's a Catholic, and he goes to Mass all the time, and and the guy just goes, no, he's he's just acting. That's just fake. Um, that's not who he really is. He's a Satanist. And then somebody's like, well, Trump never goes to worship. Like, and that photo yeah. op he did in front of the Episcopal church, that wasn't, I mean, he, he just stood outside and held up a Bible. And he goes, no, no, he knows, he knows the Bible better than anybody. And he's fulfilling prophecies. And, and just to hear American Christians talk like that about, um, you know, about the, the future of our country, it makes me really scared. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I, you know, like you do, I wish I had some magic thing to say that kind of is inspirational and hopeful. You know, I, I think it's always been important to me. And of course, this was because of who my parents are to a large degree, you know, and this is why this, this sort of thing is so um, systemic because it, it's, it's taught. Um but I think for you and me, it was a priority to be around different people and, and learn different perspectives. And in our religious beliefs and even in our seminaries, those were explicitly important values that even as each of us are devoting our lives to a specific denomination of Christianity, in your case, and Judaism in mine, we are also citizens of the world and our interpretations of our denominations um, help us act the way that we hopefully do. As, as uh, you, you may have heard of the, um, oh my gosh, give me one second. It's going to come to me any second. This is embarrassing. <laughs> There's a wonderful organization, HIAS, H-I-S, H-I-A-S, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. Okay. And um, they provide aid to immigrants. And what's, what's fascinating about HIAS is I would say easily 90% of the people that they help are not Jewish. Mm-hmm. And one of their taglines is we don't help them because they're Jewish. We do it because we're Jewish. Mm-hmm. And that's what Judaism tells me to act on behalf of my neighbor, regardless of their Jewishness and only based on their humanity. Oh, and that's good. Yeah. Gosh, have we lost that? Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I'm just aware of how much power um, the people have over their pastors and their clergy persons. And, and I have a feeling that these Patriot Church preachers, e- either they really do believe this stuff because they were raised in a culture of Christian nationalism themselves, and they've perfected the art of interpreting the scriptures in such a way to back that up, um, and to give the people what they want. Uh, when there are some people, when they go to church, they want proof that their ideology and their politics and their they match and that they're in sync. Um, I, I just I wonder what it looks like if you challenge their those people as the clergy person. You're you're out. If you teach them a truth about who Jesus really was and what Jesus really said and what that really means for us today, we can't talk like this anymore. We can't do this anymore. My guess is you're just fired as a clergy person. And th- and this is a little bit 
related to not a little to what you talked about last week, right? With mm. the 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 Christian minister yeah. who who was fired for for doing something in support of the gay community, if I if I remember. Yeah, correctly. and how do you like? I, I don't know, but you, you're clergy. You preach. You teach, right? I'm sure there. are folks in your congregation who don't necessarily agree with your worldview, um, your political ideology, your life philosophy, but surely they defer to you when it comes to matters of the facts of Scripture, the facts of Torah, the facts of the the writings or the prophets. Surely they understand that you know the stuff better than they do usually. And, and they'll defer to you in some way, I would hope, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is, I mean, you know, in, in inevitably it will happen where this will be my topic. In other words, the, the tension between, and we mentioned this exact thing last week, the tension between kind of what I want or what I envision for my congregants versus what they want for themselves and kind of where that overlaps, where that doesn't overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's, that, and it, and that's a very healthy tension. I mean, that, that's a wonderful tension to yeah. hold. Uh, when it gets too far in either direction, it's not necessarily the healthiest. Well, there are reform rabbis who make it really clear to differentiate the people of Israel from the nation state that is, you know, Israel. Um, and, and I've heard rabbis who are very aggressively critical of the nation state of Israel in its treatment of Palestinian neighbors and in its militarism, um, which basically it it looks like the United States in a lot of ways. So they're also equally critical of the United States, our this nation. Um, but I, I just wonder about those rabbis. Like, how do they do that? How do they draw that line? Surely there are Jewish people in their geography who are very disappointed in them for not being Jewish nationalist as opposed to Christian nationalist and uh, conflating the religious identity as a child of Israel with the political identity, the nation state of Israel. I, I have a feeling that's what Christians are trying to do with America, um, conflate those two identities, which then excludes. I hear that. Yeah. Th- those It excludes those who are of other faiths or those who are of no faith or those who don't know what their faith is, they haven't found it yet, but they're still searching. Um, wow. I, yeah, I, I can't stand when a Christian preacher preaches hate in Jesus's name. I, oh, it just breaks me. Oh, I know it does. I mean, and that's, I mean, I, I appreciate that about you. <laughs> um, and, and you name it, you call it out. You'll talk to that person at Starbucks when you and I go, whereas I'll just be like, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have time for your nonsense. Well, I'm, I'm willing to, to bucket and fight it. This week we had MLK Day and I assembled the hour and a half long video program for a bunch of um, what's called here CVMA, Chester Valley Ministers Association. So we had three or four other churches of color who put together a program and they lifted up what they called trailblazers, uh, people who now in, in Kent County, Eastern Shore, are um, people of color who are in positions that just 
30, 40 years ago would have been traditionally held by a white person. And it was a cool program. But as I was looking at the CVMA program as a whole, I realized, holy cow, this is all one faith. Um, this is all mm. Christian faith. Like we don't really have representation of non-Christian faiths in the CVMA. Um, we have no faith, you know, like generic nonprofits, service agencies or governmental agencies that, that are members, but we don't have non-Christian faith members that are a part of it. Maybe the Unitarians, I guess we could con- include them. Um, as non-Christian uh, faith community, but that's the only one that I can think of. And it's, I'm realizing yeah. it's a little dangerous because we're, we can talk a little about Jesus a little too freely. <laughs> we, we need some humbling. Otherwise we become a, uh, a Christian nation organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's something I know you and I worked on uh, among others, w- with uh, the interfaith partnership here. Oh yeah, that's fun. <laughs> All right, buddy. Oh uh, well, I have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna think of something more positive for next week. <laughs> I feel like I've been on a nig. On, although that's you know that's part of keeping it real too, of course. But yeah, um, yeah, have to. Yeah. Well, I like that we're trying to find topics that somebody might have read about or seen on Twitter, or, you know, in one of their you know, e-papers. And uh, and trying to make the connection and let a, a pastor or a rabbi talk about it. I I really hope that the interfaith community around the rabbi there in Dallas Fort Worth feels tighter and closer and stronger after this. And I really hope that the Christian congregations that would never ever ever in a million years join that interfaith group um, are found out for who they are. Um, not not yet anywhere close to following. Jesus yes. for goodness sakes and that they yes they lose some of their money and support to people who are more courageous sacrificial leaders as opposed to power hungry leaders I'm into that thank you for joining us on the real religion podcast today where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion I'm Reverend Joel Talbert And on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.